But uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, and uh, let's just read verse 2, okay? We, we began looking at it this morning. We looked at the first phrase this morning. I want to finish it up uh, tonight. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Father, speak afresh and anew tonight, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, before we get into the rest of this uh, verse, I want to kindly share with you a few passages to kindly put a bow, if you will, around what I shared this morning. And, uh, and so what I want you to do real quick is I want you to turn to Acts chapter 2 and verse number 37, and this is Peter giving that that great sermon after the day of Pentecost, um, when so many souls were saved. But I want you to see what took place here, because I want you to see what I shared with you this morning, I want you to see it lived out in Scripture on both sides. Now remember what I shared this morning, God's got to initiate your salvation, but when God initiates, you then can either say yes or no. You're going to see both. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Now when they heard this, this being Peter's sermon, they were pricked in their heart. Now that word prick means to thrust through, okay? In other words, the word that Peter gave them, the Spirit of God took it and literally thrust it through their heart. And it's in the passive. And you say, what does that mean? It means that God supernaturally gave them revelation to it. Remember where I said God's got to initiate? Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word. God's got to initiate your faith. God's got to initiate your revelation. And it says, They were pricked in the heart and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And of course, you know the rest of that next verse. Peter said, Repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. Now turn with me to Acts chapter 7. Let me show you the flip side of this. Acts chapter 7, verse 51 through 55. This is the passage dealing with Stephen when he was stoned. And I want you to see this. Here's what was said. Stephen said, You stiff-necked, verse 51, and uncircumcised in heart and ears, and do always resist the Holy Ghost. There it is. As your fathers did, so do you. Notice he didn't say you're resisting the Son of God. Notice he didn't say you resisted Jesus as Messiah. He said, you're resisting the Holy Ghost. In other words, the Spirit of God made revelation to them, initiated, and they resisted. Now watch what it says. Which the, the prophets have not your fathers persecuted, and they have slain them, which showed before of the coming of the just one, of whom you have been now the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by dispensation of angels and have not kept it. Now look at verse 54, because here it is. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. Guess what? Passive. In other words, God made it real to them. They were cut to the heart. What did they do with it? Oh, what must we do? No! What did they do with it? And they gnashed on him with their teeth. So here's an example of those who were pierced in their heart by the supernatural work of the Spirit of God, and said, what must we do? And then here were those who were cut to the heart 
and instead reviled the messenger. So there's your two examples of what I was talking about this morning. Now let me show you one more passage, and then we'll get to the rest of verse 2. Okay? John chapter 12, and if you'll look at verse 46. Now remember what I said this morning. The reason it's important for you to understand that man can reject, even though God is the one that gives faith and God is the one that gives repentance, yet God in His sovereignty allows man to say yes or no. And remember I told you that Calvinists say that the basis of judgment is the sovereignty of God, where the Bible says, Romans 2, 2, remember I quoted this morning, the basis of judgment is according to truth. Well, let me show you in the words of the Lord Jesus where he says this very same thing. Look at verse 46. Jesus said, I am come a light into the world, and whosoever believeth on me shall not abide in darkness. And if any man hear my words, now the word here is rima. It means a revealed word, supernaturally revealed. Anybody that hears my words and believe not. So in other words, here's what he says. He said, any man that gets a rima, a word from the word, a revealed word, a supernatural word, and believes not. So there, the Lord Jesus admits that this is possible. I judge him not, for I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judge him. Who's going to judge him? The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. Y'all got it? Say amen. So that's just putting a bow on what I shared this morning, okay? Now, with that being said, let's go back to 1 Peter chapter 1. And I want us to look at the rest of this verse 2. So we saw this, this morning, the elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father. Now I want you to look at this second phrase. We saw the work of a sovereign God. Now we're going to see the work of a sanctifying spirit. Notice what it says. He says, through sanctification of the Spirit. So in other words, we're elect through the sanctification of the Spirit. Now you say, now what does this mean? Well, let me give you a couple of things to help you understand what this means. Number one, this speaks of a powerful salvation. Who is the agent whereby our salvation becomes reality? You say, well, Jesus Christ. Well, I would say to you, Jesus Christ is the way. But who is the agent that makes it happen? You remember what Jesus told Nicodemus? Nicodemus, he said, you must be born again. Nicodemus said, how can I enter my mother's room a second time? He said, you must be born of water and the Spirit. In other words, water being the Word, the Spirit being the Holy Spirit. So in other words, the Spirit of God is what makes your salvation and mine so powerful. Because it was a supernatural work that only the Spirit of God did. And so this is the reality. This is the power of your salvation. Now these uh, uh, that Peter was writing to desperately needed to hear this. Because they were being persecuted. They were being pushed out into strange cities that were not their hometowns because of the persecution. And God came along and said, listen, remember, you are the elect according to the foreknowledge of me. And you have been sanctified by the Spirit. And so what we find here is the essence of our salvation was brought about by the Spirit of God. So God the Father chose. God the Holy Spirit instituted. 
Isn't that amazing? Now, here's the thing. Not only is it a powerful salvation, it's a positional salvation. Now, what do you mean positional? Because this word here that he uses, through sanctification of the Spirit, is not talking about a progressive or ongoing sanctification. Now, how many of you agree today that when God saved you, he put you on a path whereby you are moment by moment, day by day, being sanctified? Okay? It's called your sanctification. But there's a positional truth to this. In other words, as God sees it, you have already been sanctified. So practically, God's still working on you. Positionally, God sees you as a finished work. You are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus under good works. In other words, you're a finished masterpiece in the eyes of God. Isn't that amazing? Can you imagine God taking something as marred and defiled and polluted as you and I, and God saying, I made it full. So the Spirit of God, when He saved you, here's what happened. He did a work whereby position you're sanctified in the eyes of God. Well, the word means this. It means a state. Of purity. The Bible says that to be sanctified or to be a saint means you are set apart to be made holy. So in your sanctification, your daily process, God is continuing to knock everything out of you that looks like you. That the only thing left of you is Him. But when God saved you, He don't see you as a work in progress. Because he can only see you through the lens of the Lord Jesus. And I promise you, Jesus is not a work in progress. He sees you as already in a state of perfect purity. Why? Because you receive the righteousness of the Lord Jesus. And so this is the picture here. So in other words, you are the elect. Why? Because the Spirit of God has done a positional work whereby you are sanctified. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. We are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation. How? Through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Whereunto he called you by our gospel to the attaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. God chose you. God, through the Holy Spirit, sanctified you. And God enabled you to be able to believe. Boy, isn't God good? I mean, everything we needed is found right here in this text. And so what do we find? We find a positional salvation. We find a powerful salvation. But thirdly, we find a practical salvation. Now you say, what do you mean? Notice what it says. Through sanctification of the Spirit unto what? I didn't hear you. Y'all don't like this word, do you? Unto what? I still didn't hear you. Unto what? 
Let me tell you what this word unto means. Resulting in. Now let me ask you a question. Who we are positionally, holy unto God, does it make sense that it ought to flow through us practically? But so many people, this is their disconnect. Because what they cannot fathom is that God would save them. Glory! But then God wants me to be obedient too? Are you serious? But can I tell you today, it's not a man performing obedience we're talking about here. What it's saying is you were sanctified by the Spirit. The Spirit of God did a work in you. Matter of fact, what we talked about two weeks ago, He gave you a new heart. And he wrote his laws upon your heart. And now all of a sudden you have new desires. And through the work of that Holy Spirit, the resulting effect of the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit is if you really received it, you will be obedient. It's a natural outflow of your salvation. Now people... You wonder why I am so narrow on how many people in this world today are saved. I want to tell you why. Because there are few that walk in true obedience. And yet obedience is the evidence that the Spirit of God has done His work in their heart. And if there's not obedience as a lifestyle, the Spirit of God has not done that work. Because what has the Spirit of God got to do to make me pure? Well, we already looked two weeks ago. He can't clean up my old heart. So he's got to give me that new heart. So if he gives me that new heart, then guess what? With that new heart comes new desires, new want-tos, new affections, new passions, new love. So now all of a sudden I start loving the stuff I used to love and I start loving the stuff that I now love. Can I tell you? That stuff is the things of God. And so, here's what Paul said. Paul said that your salvation as worked through the Spirit of God is a powerful salvation. It was supernaturally wrought in you. It's a positional salvation. God sees you already as a finished work. But it's practical. Because the overflow of what God did is going to result, not might result, going to result in obedience. Now, I want to tell you something, folks. If you grab a hold of this, it will change how you pray for a lot of people. Because we've been, listen, we've been taught a bunch of junk in America. And we've been taught in America that if somebody makes a profession of faith 
that they're saved and it don't matter how they live and we're going to excuse it away and say, well, they're just backslid. Well, I got news for you. Backsliding is not a New Testament term. It's an Old Testament term. It refers to Israel. It don't refer to the church. And number one, number two, if you have the Spirit of God in you, I got news for you. The Spirit of God will not let you go but so far. And so here's what we've done. We come back and we said, all right, so if... If this happens, then I just need to rededicate my life. I got news for you. You can't dedicate something. What do you got to dedicate? Y'all going to love me say amen. Most people that think they rededicated their life really got saved. I had a man one time tell me, he said, well, I made a profession of faith when I was in the sixth grade. I lived 15 years just living how I wanted to live. One day, one day God got my attention. I rededicated my life. I've been changed ever since. He said, what do you think about that? I said, well, it sounds to me like you got saved after that 15 years. See, we just got everything wrong. All right, now. So watch this. This practical salvation. Ephesians 1.4. Let me show you how it weaves out through Scripture. According as he hath chosen us in him, him being Jesus, before the foundation of the world. Now, let me translate. It's not him choosing us before the foundation of the world. It's choosing us in Christ before the foundation of the world. In other words, God chose the pathway of our salvation being through Christ from the foundation of the earth. Are y'all with me? That's what that verse is saying. But watch what it goes on to say. That we should be what? Holy, without blame, before him in love. There's that sanctification being lived out. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 9. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto who? All them. Who's the all them? He clarifies that what? All right, now, the great way that you can translate a passage is look at what it don't say. So in other words, being made perfect, he being Jesus became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him, so flip it. So therefore, those that don't obey him, he's not been made the author of their eternal salvation. So y'all see today that positional work of the Spirit and salvation will result in a practical application. You see, obedience. Folks, listen. It's more than just choosing to obey God here and there. Obedience, by definition, is a moment-by-moment -moment lifestyle. When you and I were lost, we were bent towards sin. In other words, when I say bent towards sin, what do you mean? We were, had a desire for self, for pleasure, for doing what we want to do. But when God saved us, he bent us another way. And he bent us towards obedience and towards him. And this is what took place. Now, so this is the work 
of a sanctifying spirit. Let me give you one more verse. Revelation chapter 22, verse 14. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. So who's going to have a right to the tree of life? Those that obey his commandments. And you say, well, wait a minute, preacher. That's performance-based Christianity. Oh, listen, you're not going to obey his commandments if you don't have the Spirit of God done a sanctifying work in you. What he's saying is, the evidence that you are mine is going to be obedience. Well, so we saw the, so the work of a sovereign God, the work of a sanctifying spirit. Let me show you lastly tonight the work of a sacrificial son. Now watch this because the wording is very important. Unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. So now, as God who initiates your salvation, God chooses you, you don't choose him. As God who initiates your salvation, the Spirit of God does a work of sanctifying you, making your, you pure before God. Results in obedience. And then what does God do to seal what he has done? He applies the blood of the Lord Jesus. Now there's really three different facets talk about the blood the first thing is the cause of the blood why was the blood necessary because it was the blood of Christ alone that could appease a holy God now y'all know the passages real well and I'm not going to refer to all of them but remember this Romans 5 9 says much more than being justified by his blood we have been saved from wrath through him. All right, so what brings a person under the wrath of God? Well, they break the law of God. Because they break the law of God, they're condemned by God. Because they're condemned by God, they're under the wrath of God. But guess what? The blood of Christ took care of all that. And so what do you find? The cause. Aren't you glad today? that before you ever born in the sin sickness you were born in, God the Father had a cure in the blood of Jesus Christ. Isn't that glorious? So that's the cause. But now, notice secondly, not only the cause of the blood, but the cleansing of the blood. So, the Spirit of God does the work of sanctification. But how many agree? On a day-by-day -day basis, I can get dirty. So what does the blood do? Moment by moment, day by day, the blood cleanses this old wretch that you look at. Let me tell you, I'm going to tell you a glorious truth. The blood of Jesus will never run out. 
You say, preacher, how do you know that? Because sin will never stop. Years ago, I did a message out of 1 John. And I entitled it, Starched and Ironed, But Not Washed. And I remember I used an illustration. I had this white shirt, white dress shirt. And I got my wife to get some starch. And son, she sprayed that shirt on the outside with so much starch and ironed that thing, you could almost stood it against this rail and it had stood up. Man, it looked good. But what people didn't say was inside that shirt, I had went outside and took dirt and rubbed all in the inside. You see, the blood of Christ has to clean up the inside before the outside will tell the true story. Because you can be starched and ironed and not washed. You can look good. You can be a great church member, faithful. But the Spirit of God's not done that sanctifying work inside. The blood of Christ has not purified the inside. But I'm glad today that there's cleansing in the blood. Let me show you lastly, and I'm done. You say, preacher, you're short tonight. Well, it's because I was so long this morning. The covenant in the blood what is the sprinkling of blood significant in the Old Testament let me give you one example in the book of Exodus Moses got the law of God Moses read the law of God to the children of Israel the children of Israel responded in this fashion all that he said I quote we will do it. Now, how many of you agree? They lied. Not intentionally, but they did. But watch what God did based upon what they said. The Bible says in the very next verse, and God took the blood and sprinkled it as a covenant between him and the people. So listen to what I'm trying to tell you. Did God initiate your salvation? Yes. Did God have to enable you to be saved? Yes. Could you have rejected him? Yes. Did many of you say yes to him? Yes. Did the Spirit of God sanctify you and make you pure before God? If you're saved, yes. Is obedience the natural outflow of what the Spirit of God's done in you? Yes. Has God took the blood and cleansed you? Yes. But can I tell you what God did on top of all that? 
How many agree? That's enough. But can I tell you, God didn't stop there. God said, I'm going to take the blood of my son and I'm going to ratify a covenant with you that as my elect, as my chosen favorite ones, I'll be everything to you. And this blood not just got you in, but this blood will take you all the way through. Can I tell you what God did when he saved you? God made a covenant with you on the basis of his self that he would finish what he started in you. Now, He gives a little closing to this verse, which is really the introduction to the book. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. This covenant relationship you've now entered into, here's part of that covenant. Grace unto you. I'm going to give this to you quickly, and we're going to close out. An active ability. Here's God's covenant with you now that you're His. Moment by moment, day by day, there'll be grace on top of grace, on top of grace, on top of grace, on top of grace. And everything that I ask of you and everything I desire of you, my grace will be sufficient to enable you to accomplish. An active ability. And peace be multiplied to you. The word multiply means to abound. So not only do you find here in this covenant an active ability, you found an abide, abounding, abounding assurance, peace. Can you imagine? The word abound means to overflow, to go above and over. Think about it. For these that were being persecuted, that were scattered abroad, strangers in strange towns. Here's what Peter starts out by telling them. Oh, but remember, you're the elect of God. God has sanctified you through His Holy Spirit. His Son has cleansed you and made a covenant with you through His blood. His grace will enable you through it all and listen, no matter what happens, no matter if even it costs you your life, His peace will overflow in your heart and in your life. And you'll be able to rest in what He's done for you. How many of y'all remember the day God saved you? Raise your hand. How many of you would agree with this statement? That the first, I mean the immediate, thing that you sensed in your heart was the peace of God. 
You went from, listen, in one millisecond, you went from being aliens and enemies to reconciled to a holy God. The peace of God. It's the reason when God saved Mike and I went to his bedroom. I walked in, I said, Mike, what did God do? Mike said, God just saved me. His first words, I don't care if you fired me, God saved me. First words, was it not Mike? How can Mike say that? That was his livelihood. His wife is a stay-at-home mom. Nothing wrong with that. But his only livelihood was this church. He said, I don't care if you fire me, I'm saved. Why could he say that? Because the peace of God was greater than any other factor of his life. He couldn't get past it. So here's my concluding statement, and I'm done. One Bible scholar put verse 2 this way, and I'll close with quoting him. The Father fought it. The Holy Spirit wrought it. And the Son brought it. Let me say it again. The Father thought it. The Holy Spirit wrought it. And the Son brought it. So what took place when God saved you? God the Father initiated and enabled. God the Holy Spirit sanctified and purified you. God the Son sprinkled His blood, cleansed you, and cleanses you and entered into a covenant with you. So how important was your salvation to God? I want to tell you how important it was. It took the whole triune Godhead to make your salvation reality. Why would God do that for me? Because he is a merciful, gracious, loving God who created you for his glory and you could not bring glory to him because of your depravity and your lostness and my lostness and my sin. We could not bring glory to him and he knew we could never bring glory to him but he created us for his glory and so God gave us the person of the Lord Jesus, the only one that could glorify the Father and now when we were came short of the glory of God, Christ in you became the hope of glory and when Christ came alive in you, now what God created you to do now could be done not by you but by the Christ in you. And it took the whole triune God to make that happen. I don't know about y'all, but all I know to say is, what? Father, would you make it so real to us? Father, overwhelmingly real to us. That, Father, you would go to this kind of measure just to save a wretch like me, like us. 
Father, when we think on these truths, how could we ever be dull concerning your gracious work of salvation? Just the gratitude it ought to work in us. the praise that ought to put in our heart, the recognition that we were unworthy, wretches, and you saved us anyway. No wonder it's called amazing grace. But Father, you know every heart of every person in this place. Father, I wonder if there's any individuals in this place that, Father, obedience. It's not a normal outflow of their life. It's something that has to be forced. Their arm has to be twisted. They have to be prodded. Peace. Something that they've really never, ever truly known. The thought of death is disturbing to them. Because they really don't know what would happen. Father, maybe tonight, You're revealing yourself, initiating in someone's heart tonight this glorious work of salvation, and your Holy Spirit is ready to sanctify them, and you're ready to apply, sprinkle that blood, and enter into a covenant relationship with them. Father, as we studied this morning and again tonight, you're not going to force it on them. You can make them miserable. You can make them uncomfortable. You can show them what they need to see about themselves and what you did for them and your provision. And you are ready to give them the faith to believe and repentance to turn. They've got to say yes. Thank you. Thank you for your saving grace. In Jesus' name, and all God's children said,